Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning and happy Thursday morning to you. I'm excited about our guest this morning. Uh, he has some interesting tales to tell. But before I introduce you to him, I want to talk about uh, some upcoming conferences that I'm sure private investigators in particular across the world might be interested in attending. The first one is uh, coming up in June. It's a um, annual conference of the California Association of Licensed Investigators. It is the 50th anniversary. Can you believe that? 50 years. Uh, June 7th to the 9th. 7th to the 9th in Long Beach, California. Beautiful Long Beach. It's going to be an amazing conference. I can tell you they're planning all kinds of Interesting and great things. So um, put that on your calendar. The next one is the Texas Association of Licensed Investigators. They're having their annual conference at La Toretta Lake Resort and Conference Center in Lake Conroe, uh, Texas, August 22nd to the 25th. Put that one on your calendar. Then Colorado, the Professional Private Investigators Association of Colorado us having their conference in Breckenridge. How about Breckenridge, Colorado? What a beautiful place. September 13th to the 15th. I will be speaking at that. So if you're interested, put that one on your calendar. And then last but, of course, not least, is the biggest conference in the country uh, will be held in New York City. So excited about this. Uh, NCISS, an association, National Council of Investigators and Security Services that I'm affiliated with, um, is one of the sponsors, and that will start November 8th with pre-con seminars, the 9th and 10th, and then a post-con seminar on the 11th. So don't miss that one. That's right downtown Manhattan. They've got great hotel rates. It's going to be a fabulous conference. So don't forget, be there. Be Try to go to all of these, but if you can't go to everything, go to the New York one, because that's going to be fantastic. So... Now, I want to introduce you to Andy Kay. Hi, Andy. How are you doing, Francis? I am great. Thank you for being on the show today. No problem. My, my privilege. So, Andy's going to talk about difficult clients. You know, we all have difficult clients. We have, uh, if, if you've been in the business for five minutes, you have had probably a difficult client. Maybe one that's a little off-kilter. Uh, maybe one with... Uh, ideology that you don't agree with I mean really ideology you don't agree with <laughs> and, and Andy's going to talk about one of these in particular but before we get started with this Andy I don't know much about you how in the world did you get in this business well I started off working with the AG's office in California and right out of college and from there went on to some of the private companies and then uh started my own about oh, 27 years ago. Come up yeah. September, it'll be 27 years that I've been doing this. Wow. And how did you, what did you do at the AG's office? Uh, mostly drug enforcement. Okay. And right out of college, huh? That's interesting. Yeah. Mostly, mostly undercover work at that time. I looked like I was about 15 years old, so <laughs> that's where I ended up. <laughs> okay. All right. And how long were you there? About six years. 
really. Wow. So you were one of the guys that were going after the marijuana growers in California. Yeah, actually, at the time, we had a thing called Campaign Against Marijuana Plants, and uh, things have certainly that. changed in this state politically in that uh, arena. And uh, now, actually, a great deal of my clients were helping them get a license <laughs> and uh, getting security you know, assessments for them and everything else. So, yeah, things have changed quite a bit since then. What a difference a few years will make, right? It's so funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and then, um, so you, after you left there, you went to work for, for private firms, private investigation yeah, firms? Yeah, I went to, I went to work for one of the, uh, well, maybe the largest utilities company in California and worked in their internal security department and, uh, did that for a while. And, uh, my, uh, boss from there had been, uh, retired from the FBI and actually my previous, uh, boss from, uh, the AG's office had gone there and, uh. They hired me there, and I'm there when my my new boss retired from that second job. He started his own TI company, and he took me with him there. And then uh, I developed a workers' compensation department within that that got bigger than he wanted to get. So I uh, we split it off into two companies. Hmm. Interesting. And then, uh, do, do you, what is the name of your company now? K and Associates Investigations. Okay, K and Associates. That's K A Y and Associates. Yes. K-A-Y. And where are you located? Where are you based? We're in Encino. Okay. All right. And uh, as long as we're talking about it, do you have a website in case people want to contact? Yes, we do. You? It's K and Associates dot com. Thank you for asking. <laughs> You're and welcome. We work pretty much everywhere in California, and actually, we're in most states a lot of the time. We have good relationships with a lot of subcontractors for years and so well you know um i i was mentioning the various conferences one of the big huge benefits of attending conferences is networking is exactly what you were saying andy is contacts all over the united states and all over the world help us all do our business because first of all we're not licensed everywhere in the world and secondly exactly. um people that are in the, the geographical area are the most knowledgeable about that area. So uh, we all, if, if you're a working private investigator, you're utilizing sources of private investigators all over the country, all over the world. So that's yeah, great. Absolutely. Yeah. As a matter of fact, we just had a case in London that we used a group that we've used a couple times in the past and it turned out to be great. So you're right. Absolutely. Going to these conferences is, is a great way to network and find new associations if you don't already have people in certain areas. Sometimes it'll just even open up opportunities for them to use you at the same time. So yeah, it's a great it's a great mode for sure. It's great. And you know, it's so much different meeting somebody in person than it is, you know, picking them out of a some directory or uh, online. I could get a feel it's for them, just, you know. Especially in our industry. Especially, <laughs> especially in our industry. Exactly. I agree. Uh, yeah, there's, uh, you know, like like any profession, there's always a little, a few people that are a little there's, off. <laughs> there's, some quirk, there's some quirky people, yes. There are some quirky people. There are also some very talented people as well. Very oh, competent, some talented amazing, people. Um, yeah, there's some amazing talent out there. There really is. I mean, I get asked a lot of times about, you know, well, you know, if the police couldn't do it, why couldn't you do it? And, you know... Uh, they don't understand that most of us come from a law enforcement background. 
you know, we've all gone through whatever training they had at that point and then gone on to so much more. And like you said, the associations, the other benefit to them beyond networking is that you get a lot of new training. We get a lot of new um, opportunities to use new services that are out there. And, you know, it's getting more cutting edge. The technology is getting a lot better in our industry. So it's, you know, again, another good reason to go to all these events that you mentioned at the beginning of the show. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, even though we don't have the resources, say, that law enforcement has um, in many cases, uh, we also are not limited in some of the areas. Like we don't just, you know, we don't, uh, oh, I don't know. Yeah, we we're able to step outside of the box. We don't, we're not hyper-focused on putting somebody in jail. That's not where we have to direct our attention. So yes, we can use things and techniques that they don't, they don't have the ability to use. They're, they're confined in a lot of ways by a lot of the laws that are out there and they're resourcing and budgets. So, I mean, and it doesn't mean that we're breaking the law. We're not, you know, I think that no. often private investigators no. are seen as, as working outside the law, and that's not true. Um, no, that's but, absolutely not true. Um, yeah. It's just it's a different set of laws. It's not necessarily the same dynamic when we're looking for what we're looking for as to what they're looking for. And, you know, you know civil rights of people and everything else, a lot of the times are, we're more loosely bound by our jobs than they are. And... You know, at the same time, being able to articulate how and why we got to what we find is is what makes us a little bit more advantageous sometimes. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, it's nice to meet you online. Here, I have we've never you and I have never met before, so this is uh, uh, nice to meet you online, Andy. Um, nice so, meeting you. Yeah. So uh, we want to talk about this interesting case that you had, and it's. Um, it has so many components that uh, have come together, that kind of collided together, that kind of uh, emphasize what happens when you're working with a, a difficult client and one that you don't necessarily agree with uh, where they're coming from, which happens to a lot of us. And yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, and I, I, I mean, it happens with me a lot. And um, I think I know which client you're talking about. <laughs> I think oh, okay. I know which, which case it is. Okay, but, um, we're, we're talking about your client, Mark. Oh, yeah. Yes, Mark. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mark, oh, yeah. M- you know, Mark has got some ideas about the world that are definitely not the norm. He's really not as bad as he seems by the things that he says. I mean, uh, sometimes I wish that zippers were easily installed. Um, but, uh, yeah, he was. he gave us a lot of obstacles to overcome for sure (laughs) okay okay so let's 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 tell this story why don't you start at when he called contacted you and how that came about well you know a lot of times we get criminal defense cases that are you know everybody's always innocent for sure and they uh you know a lot of times they'll send you down the wrong road but you know unfortunately for mark he was he was right on he was accused of making threatening phone calls to an islamic center and you know, he's a right-wing blogger. He does a lot of, you know, blogging. His sister had worked uh, in a lot of campaigns and um, was even actually attached to the Trump campaign. Um, and 
he was kind of singled out based on his Facebook posts as the primary suspect in, in these calls. And honestly, I, I believe the one call that was actually he was charged with didn't even exist, never happened. Um, why, and why do you he, think that? Don't, don't leave that. Why do you think that? Well, because I went through all of the phone calls in and out of that center because uh, the carrier, you know, collects records. We subpoenaed the records, and we were able to go through all of them, and there was no call at the time that it was alleged to have happened. Now, the other phone calls that they believed were marked and actually were not all were recorded, so there was actual evidence that they happened, and fortunately, that was part of what helped us exonerate Mark. So this was these were calls to a mosque. Yes. Where the um, uh, I don't I don't remember what the uh, leader of mosque is called, uh, which my bad. And but the the person. Um, yeah, that my me. bad too. I can't remember <laughs> okay. either. Yeah. Um, Imam. Yeah, Imam. Um, that's yes. yes. That sounds familiar. Okay, so uh, I'm hoping we're not we're not offending anybody that's out, out there listening to this program. But um, so the man called the police and reported this threatening or this uh, call that sounded the, like the a threat. terrorist threat. Yes, and you know, basically, I went back to everything Mark has ever said or sent to any anyone. And he was very careful about never being threatening. He was very discouraging in his comments, but he was never threatening. And, you know, he's not a stupid guy. He, he knows the difference. He likes to be controversial. He likes to, you know, obviously he does the blogs. He's trying to be a public figure with this. And he, you know, creates a conflict for that purpose. But he was very careful always and everything I ever found to never be threatening. So for them to allege that based on just a witness over the phone Mm -hmm. saying that these were the only threats when everything else was a recorded call or something in writing or anything like that, that we did have evidence of is one of the reasons that I really started digging into the phone records to make sure that there was even a call at the time. And then the calls, you know, obviously there's technology that we can get around showing our phone numbers when we make calls. But mm-hmm. I ran down every call that was made during that time to tie it into actual people. So all the calls that came into the mosque during those times were accounted for. Okay. All right. Um, it, you know, this is, this is so interesting and it's so timely because we, we hear of this terrorist business all the time. So uh, we need to take a really quick break. We'll be right back with Andy Kay talking about his uh, interesting client. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator. We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. 
Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to PIs Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to F R A N C I E at PIsDeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. I'm here with Andy Kay, a private investigator. Southern California, and we're talking about his unusual, maybe a little offensive client that he um, worked with, and he's t- giving us the details. So, so um, Mark, what was the what was the alleged threat, the initial one? Uh, that all Muslim rats should be annihilated, and things you know to that nature. Uh, that the uh, religion was basically a blight to all of humanity, and he went on. Pretty well. The caller who we find out was actually a judge's son, the local judge's judge son. son. Really? Yes, and we were able to actually prove that, and he basically admitted it. Um, of course, he admitted that he made the calls, but that he didn't actually make deliberate threats. Hmm. But the uh, the threats were, or the comments were, definitely of a vile nature, and if they in fact did happen, they were a cause for alarm. Sure. Now, what kinds of um, things was Mark saying on his blog? Um, Mark's comments on his blogs were, you know, to the same content, basically. He would say things about the Muslim religion is, you know, an awful thing. And I don't have the exact quotes at this time for all of what he said. But he Mm -hmm. did, you know, have a Facebook post that, you know, you know, slighted the religion pretty heavily a lot of times. And he wasn't, you know, he, he was very, uh, you know, racist in, in his statements. He, he made statements that were all-encompassing of a, of a religion, and obviously we don't like to do things like that because, um, you know, there are, there are bad parts of every religion. I can look at my religion and, and find horrific, horrific uh, things that have happened by people, you know, 
purporting to be proponents of it. And right. we don't, we, you know, we have to avoid those things. It is wrong to do that. And I mean, I've tried to even correct Mark on some of the ways he communicates, <laughs> but it doesn't always work. It's not working. <laughs> okay. So you've, you've maintained a relationship with him. Yes. And as a matter of fact, I've, I'm actually doing some work with him right now. Interesting. Interesting. There yeah. you go. Uh, opposite worlds collide, and, and it works yeah. sometimes. So, all right. So, tell tell me what happened. They get a bead on Mark. They they um, this call comes into nine one one reporting this alleged threat, and then yeah. how did they identify Mark? Well, they identified Mark through the Facebook post, and the person who got the alleged actual threat call that I don't believe existed. Basically, he. Uh, said an angry man called and left a voicemail saying offensive things. So on Sunday, they uh, got another call and another man said threatening things, but the call was not recorded. And they went on to call the police and said that, you know, we think it was the same guy that made the calls from the previous day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the guy said Mark Fagan had made offensive posts on Facebook so this guy looks or sounds like the same person that left the message, and the guy that called and left the threats on sounded like the same guy that left the message. So that's how they tied Mark into this. As ridiculous as that sounds, even when I repeat it, um, coming from that kind of a background, it just made it, you know, people were looking for a target. And, you know, Mark was a very vocal target. He... Uh, put himself out there, you know, and, and had said things in the past that were not, you know, threatening, but were definitely offensive. And so they got a search warrant on Mark's home and, you know, they interviewed Mark and, you know, kept him there for several hours and they told Mark that they were sure that that was his voice. And of course, Mark, like, well, if you say it's my voice, it's my voice, but I don't remember making that call. I don't think I would ever make a call like that. And, over, over and over, and the in charge of that investigation actually took the voice that must be my voice as a confession, right? And tried so, to make yeah. that work. And the, you know, we know better, but obviously some people don't. And they took that to you know bring Mark and you know push formal charges upon him. And, uh, you know, they paraded him out with, you know, he does have weapons, all legal weapons, even in the state of California. Um, he had ammunition, which is, you know, completely legal also. And, you know, paraded legal things out to the public as if it made him a criminal. And it was, you know, I'm not a big fan of smear tactics. I mean, use the evidence you have uh, just because, you know, somebody got a letter from another person that was offensive and they, you know, bring out that you have reams and reams of paper at your house and pens is not evidence. That's just right. circumstantial things that, you know, paint a narrative. And so unfortunately, just, you know. Yeah, so just, just to back up here a second. So they had him in custody for several hours uh, interrogating mm-hmm. him. and. Yes telling him they knew it's they know it's him and that they had a voice match they told him they had a voice match 
correct? Yeah, yes. And, they and told him it was your voice on the recording. And Mark yeah. recalled, you know, what, and I, I mean, I've listened to these interviews. And it's, it, Mark's response was, what phone call? And, and he repeated again, I would never make a threat. And, you know, Mark really was confused at that point. I mean, he's, you know, he's like, look, I was like thinking, oh, my God, what did I do that I don't even remember? Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. And, um, I mean, I, I've been in a lot of interrogations. I've performed a bunch of them. And, you know, people get twisted around. You have to be very careful in those situations. And when, you know, you've got a, a grown man in a situation where he's looking at police officers, you know, that are threatening to put him in prison and you've got all these things going, you know, you can very much feel like a little child being interrogated by your parents. And it's not that you will always get an honest result out of them, even though they're trying to be honest. Mm-hmm. So and after hours of saying it's you, we've got your voice, we've got a recording of your voice. He gives up and said, well, if you're saying it's my voice, I guess it's my voice. I don't remember. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. Exactly what happened. It was that, it was that bad. It really was. Well, and didn't, um, didn't he also admit that he was hotheaded and sometimes he would drink and forget doing things and, uh, so that just plugged into the law enforcement theory that it was him, and he forgot. Yeah, he, he did. did it. He did admit that he is hot-headed and that he's very boisterous, and he will admit that to this day. And um, you know, he he knows this about himself, and he you know he is known to go out and have a few drinks. I don't think that he thought that he was so intoxicated that he couldn't remember, but it was something that was going through his head. It was a possibility. He was just trying to think of possibilities for why this could all be happening and he couldn't remember it. It wasn't yeah. that he was admitting to even that. It was, but you it was him trying see to how this plays out for sure. Yes. So I'm still I'm still a little confused. How did they connect his Facebook post with this call? Because well he had also posted on that particular mosque with disparaging comments, not threats, but disparaging Okay, about comments. that mosque. Okay, yes. that makes sense then. Was this, a, was this mosque uh, close to where he lived, or how, how did he connect with it? Did I lose you, Andy? I'm here, can you hear me? Yeah, oh, there you are. Okay, did, was this... A, mosque a neighbor to him how did he connect with the mosque he was you know it's it's proximity wise it's pretty close but the connection that he had with it is just that it was a more uh, one of the larger mosques it was one of the uh, more prominent in the in southern california and um that's why he targeted them for you know his comments Mm-hmm. And, you know, for his comments is why they targeted him for the threats. Well, and, and, you know, from a law enforcement perspective, you know, to give, to be fair, law enforcement gets this, gets this report. They know that somebody is, uh, has an axe to grind, say, with the mosque. They, he's right. 
he's posted disparaging comments. They think he's a target. I think they think he, they have their suspect. They get a search warrant. They go in his house, and he's got a cache of weapons. So we know yep. we're playing this out across the country every time there's a terrorist incident. You can see you can see where it's going. It's I mean it makes a lot of sense. Even well, if and and that's unfortunately it's true because a lot of these people come from similar, let's say, roots. But at the same time, there's a whole lot of people that may have the exact same circumstances minus whatever draws law enforcement to them that never ever come in contact with law enforcement. Mm-hmm. So to paint a broad brush against them is being just about as you know, let's use racist as markets the other direction. So, you know, not everybody that has weapons and makes comments against something they don't like is going to go out and do awful heinous crimes. Yeah. So, you know, we we have to be very careful going both ways with, with that kind of painting a broad brush across a group of people. Exactly. Exactly right. So, all right, so he's arrested. Um, now he has, and now was he kept in custody? He was in custody for a little while. He was able to make bail. Okay. And right. uh, the case, and you know, that's another very um, important part is he he has the ability to get out and fight. A lot of people don't have that ability, and it's very hard to help in your own defense when you're locked in a cell. Uh, Obviously, you know, even when they can afford to hire people like you and I and other investigators in their team, it's, it's difficult to get the information back and forth. It's difficult to get slight little nuances that we may not realize are important. Or if we find something, they may direct us into a different direction and they can, they can help eliminate any of that. So it saves them a lot of our time and their money to be able to be proactive in their defense. And unfortunately, that doesn't happen when you're sitting in a jail cell. So he was very lucky that he could get out and be able to do that. Yeah, no kidding. And then you were able to review all the phone calls, correct? Yes, yes. And and determine... Hundreds of pages of phone calls. (laughs) Hundreds of pages. And you determine without any question that there was no call made to the mosque by Mark? Yes, definitely. Okay. Is that cell phone and, I mean, what, what kind of yes. records were they? Basically, well, we had we had the incoming and outgoing phone call records from the actual mosque. And, okay. not to, and we had Mark's. But Mark's cell phone records alone wouldn't have really proved anything. It's not hard to get other phones. It's not hard to use a friend's phone. It's, mm-hmm. you know, we all know that we can get burner phones. Um, we all use them in our industry. So right. it's, it was important to actually get their records subpoenaed so that we could go through and see the time and the calls in and out of the mosque to, to eliminate Mark. Okay. And then how was the judge's son identified? Um, the judge's son was identified through, actually, the police identified the judge's son at one point. Um, and they knew about it actually even before they let Mark's defense know about it. And even we found out later that the mosque had information. We know this via um, internet or email transmissions back and forth. So, 
You know, unfortunately, that's the other part of what we we do. We always we have no political gain or loss by what we do. We give our clients all of the information, whether it be good or bad or indifferent. And sometimes people in public situations, law enforcement, prosecution, things like that, they they aren't as big of a hurry to, you know, offer up their mistakes or the evidence that goes a different direction. It's true. Unfortunately, that is true. Now, Mark did make a very bad mistake, though, along this process. Oh, oh, oh yeah, he made a couple. <laughs> he made a couple? What were the mistakes? Well, the mistake, Mark, Mark's mistakes to me start out from the beginning of being, you know, so disparaging in, in his thought process and so vocal in, in the things that he says that are, he even knows are provocative. So that's, that's his first mistake because he, he painted himself as a par- product or as a uh, target. Um, the, the probably biggest thing is going up against one of the actual detectives in the case. And mm-hmm. even though I understand his frustration and I'm definitely, I mean, I have roots in law enforcement. Most of my friends are in law enforcement and most people in the industry or or in the pit are great people. Yes, 100%. Unfortunately, sometimes you get some that aren't, and so I understand his frustration. But he sent a text that I don't even believe was that bad. But, he, you know, it was, uh, you know, basically, why don't you tell the effing truth? And that was not a good decision on his part. Yeah, he sent that actually to the officer. Yes, he texted that directly yeah, to her. Not a good idea. <laughs> no, you don't want to create enemies with batches. <laughs> <laughs> no, not, particularly when they're investigating your case. <laughs> yes, especially, yeah, they have a little pull on you, yes. Mm-hmm. So what happened with that? Well, he was, when he got back to the United States, they were waiting for him at the airport, and they arrested him for it. They arrested him for, uh, I believe it was uh, dissuading a witness, and... Uh, the police arrested Mark and charged him with dissuading witness. It cost him an extra 125 grand to get out. And so, you know, he was, he was working into his savings accounts pretty hard by the time this was over. Now, as a, uh, what kind of business is Mark in? Mark uh, currently is an Uber driver. That's what he's doing at this point. Okay. So was he doing that at the time? Um, I believe he was at the time. I mean, he okay. has, you know, Mark's a smart guy. He's made some investments in his past and done some good things. So I think he actually is a real estate agent at one time. So, you know, he, he had a little bit, but, you know, it's, they've, you know, he's had to pretty much expend his savings. Wow. You know, I, I got to tell you that it, it's, it's so disturbing. I mean, you can... Like I say, you can see the law enforcement, what happened with law enforcement, but at the same of time, course. if you're an innocent person, this is, this is just probably the scariest situation you can be in when you're up against law it, enforcement. It really is. I mean, think how, you know, just imagine how you feel just getting pulled over on the highway for speeding. Yeah. I mean, that's not an enjoyable experience for anybody, even though it's, it's really not that big of a deal. But... To go through this and basically have the weight of the attorney general's office 
against you. This is when Camilla Harris was at the AG's office. Mm-hmm. And the police department and, you know, prosecutors and everybody else, you know, painting this picture of how bad you are and you know you didn't do it. And I'm sure at the time there was a lot of people that didn't believe Mark. And I've got to tell you, I always take, you know, criminal cases when they come in with a grain of salt. I mean, I know that I've been doing this long enough that there's a lot of innocent people that get mixed up in the system for a myriad of different reasons. But I even really questioned Mark on this. I, you know, it was, I was glad to find out that he was innocent and be able to prove it, but it was, you know, very questionable in my mind also. So I do understand law enforcement looking at him. Yeah. Um, but then sometimes I think taking it beyond the work with what they had was, was not proper. Well, and, and, you know, the reality is in another era this wouldn't have been looked at as seriously as it is today. But, you know, post 9-11 and, and post uh, all kinds of terrorist activities, this is serious. I mean, it's, it's probably the, one of the most, if not the most serious crime that faces our country. I mean, right. there's mur- certainly yeah, no, there's murders. I, I agree that. that but I, I agree with that. Well, you know, in the beginning, you have to take serious threats seriously. I mean, but we all know... The, you know, you and I grew up in sticks or sticks and stones time, you know, where, you know, <laughs> people said stuff, you just said, yeah, whatever. And you went on and said stuff back right. and went your way. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, people are starting to carry out bad things. Is when they had evidence of somebody else and they didn't back right off. That's, and I've seen this happen so many times. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, we got to change it. It's got to be, somebody's got to be held accountable, even for the taxpayer that still go forward, we know that we're we're barking up the wrong tree. Yeah, for sure. And uh, what happened with the other guy? Nothing. Nothing. He was never charged. I'm Judge Lawson was uh, asked about it. He just said it was a family matter, and that's what. I mean, I don't know what's going on with it. I doubt anything. I think there's some egg on some faces at this point, and we know that when that happens, so did this uh, did this actually play out in the news? Was uh, Michael Slauson identified in the news oh. that he was actually the maker of the calls? Yeah, uh, CNN called Judge Lawson. That's when he told CNN that it was a family matter. Uh, it's been in the LA Times. It's been reported... Numerous times, actually. Really? Yeah. You know, and, <laughs> it's, it's, and that's very bothersome. Yeah. And, you know, Michael, the judge's son, is, he's got a, you know, a long history of making calls to Islamic groups, actually, <laughs> and, you know, expressing his disdain for it. Yeah. Wow. He's, he's not a new person to this. So, he, you know, I don't know how they overlooked him when they were looking at Mark, actually. Huh. So he really did have a history. Um, a long did. history, it seems. Huh. And, and a history of, of uh, besides making calls and emails, did he do other things? Not to my knowledge. And um, there was no reason for us to go in on Mark's time and investigate him too much beyond the point where He's a suspect for the police. We know that he made the calls. 
He's admitted to those calls and other calls and just to get my client free of that net. Well, I guess it's uh, proof that it pays to know people in high places, doesn't it? <laughs> well, this is California, so. <laughs> yeah, but this really, uh, this is really not good. <laughs> really not yeah, good. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's one of those things that you, you know about, and when it happens, everybody just kind of poo-poos it away, and, you know, it's easy for them to say, oh, well, it's just, you know, him running a big mouth. For him to run his big mouth than it was for Mark to run his big mouth. Right. And, you know, it's gotten to a point where people really are, you know, DAs can take one out of a group of suspects or, or conspirators in a crime and just charge mm-hmm. whoever they want in the middle of it. And it may be because they just don't like this guy's shirt that day. And, you know, it's gotten a little bit arbitrary and capricious in the way that, you know, people are prosecuted and even become suspects anymore. I totally agree. If your agree political with you. motivation seen, is not right. of the, you know, common, you know, persuasion, then you can target, and we need to change that. I yeah, I agree. I have seen a huge, maybe in the last ten years, a huge change in that respect. Um, yeah, I'm, prosecutors know they can get a guilty verdict and that's what their objective is and uh, uh, a lot of times you're fighting exactly what you had here maybe not as clear cut but uh, certainly the same issue so yeah Mark, unfortunately uh, yes when was the turning point for you Andy when you said oh, I don't think this guy did it well when we got all of the records and I could see that calls didn't come in when their witness said that they did and the fact that I was able to attribute all of the calls that came in to the, even around that time frame, to people that either should have been calling or other people that called them, uh, you know, we were able to follow their numbers back to the people and say, oh, yeah, I called them to ask them about this function that was going on or, or something like that, or they were church calls, the normal business. So that's when I really thought, Mark, was innocent, and I thought that the story was at least partially concocted. Okay. All right. Well, we need to take another quick break. I, I have some questions, so we'll be right back, right back with Andy Kay and more about this uh, interesting client. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator. We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 
350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's Choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. I'm here talking to Andy Kay about uh, things that are difficult or have uh, ideas that are uh, maybe even offensive to you. So, So, Andy... Uh, you said, when we were talking offline, you said that this was, was a guy that wasn't really difficult for you to deal with. He's likable. Um, but what if he'd have been really a obstreperous, you know? Well, yeah, those? and we we all end up with uh, clients that are unbearable, let's face it. And at that point, we try to, you know, do a good job for them, do what they paid us to do get all the evidence we can, whether it supports their position or goes against it, frankly, and provide it to them, and then try never to work for them again if we don't like them. Right, right. Now, on this case with Mark, uh, you were working for his attorney as well? I, you know, I was retained by Mark, um, and uh, we did change it to one of the attorneys at one time just for uh, confidentiality purposes. Um, Mm-hmm. But uh, we, we actually, you know, I actually like Mark. Mark is an okay guy. Mark incites, you know, things with what he does. But I've got to tell you, Mark was actually in our office one day, and another client was in, and that client has to happened to be, you know, Islamic um, from Iran, and uh, they actually hit it off. <laughs> I was actually surprised. And, uh, you know, he told me later that, you know, he actually has Islamic friends. He doesn't believe in the fundamental part of the religion, and he's very vocal about it. And, you know, whereas I think that the viewpoints that he expunges are horrible, um, I mean, exudes, that he's a good guy. He doesn't people. He tries to incite people and, you know, with his position as a blogger, he, he's successful in it. And I disagree with what he says, but when he's the client and we, even though we may not like what they say or what they do or them personally, mm-hmm. we're bound, you know, fiduciarily to, to provide what they ask us to do. Right. We do. Yeah. As long as it's within the bounds of the law, for sure. Wait, you know, yeah. um, 
I read an article that you wrote, uh, Andy, and your position, and I agree with you in a lot of respects, is that our system's broken. Yes, I, I, I believe it's broken in so um, many ways that I don't know where we're going to get it back. Which is, I mean, that, and that's kind of what both of us were alluding to when, when prosecutors believe they can get a conviction just because they that somebody's charged. Um, yeah. So how do we fix that? Well, I think we need to change laws. Um, the laws have to re- reflect uh, that, you know, if, if a prosecutor or a peace officer uh, takes, or any person in, in power or in authority, takes and hides evidence or even ignores evidence, there, there needs to be ramifications. And, you know, right now, one of the things that's happening, and I've never seen it near like it is now, is police officers are taking a bashing. And there's a lot of bad police officers that, you know, get a videotape. And whereas it may be one-tenth of one percent, they make the whole bunch look horrible. And so we need to be able to remove the bad ones a lot easier. It needs to be, you know, we, we have unions and everything else to protect these guys no matter what happens. And the rest of the guys kind of get stuck with it, and this, this wall gets kind of built up where you have to kind of protect them even because it, it will hurt all of you because you can't get rid of them. And we need to change that. We need to be able to get rid of bad public officials. We need to get rid of bad police officers because they tarnish the whole group. And when they do step out of line, they should go to jail. The other thing that uh, is so widespread is the us-against-them mentality that many law enforcement agencies and their officers have. You it's know, true. It, um, and there, there is this... become kind of a gang mentality where, you know, everybody else is uh, less of a person than we are. And they treat the public that way. I mean, most officers will treat you with respect. You know, you see them at traffic stops and everything else, and they do. But you also see a lot of officers that forget that, and they they treat everybody as if they have to talk down to them. And there's a lot of, I mean, I have some that I'm actually friends with, and I've corrected them a couple times just when I've heard them speak to people in situations like, wow, what, what's that all about? <laughs> and they just get this, you know, us against them mentality. Like you said, it's, it's getting pervasive. And the reality is they, that often uh, an investigator will work his theory on a case like this one. Mark was the target. Mark, Mark obviously did it. That's what. Yeah. That's his mentality. So yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna do everything we can pr- do to prove that Mark did it. Not try to find out exactly what happened. We're gonna Mark did it. We're gonna get right. evidence against Mark, and any evidence against Mark, we're gonna not pay attention to because we want to put Mark in prison because we don't like Mark now. Mark became the target. We're gonna do whatever it takes to get Mark. And what struck me, and I suspect what about this situation because I suspect what they what they used in the interrogation was the read technique which you and I are probably both familiar with where you keep you have your suspect and you keep badgering them until they confess 
yeah. which is what it and, sounds you know, like even, happened with Mark. Yeah, and we've even you know made rules against that in uh, when we're when we're interrogating you know uh, you know foreign fighters. You know we we don't use those techniques because we know they aren't accurate. Yes, I'm sure that at some point and sometimes they are valuable, but definitely not in these kind of situations. Well, and, you know, I've been trained on that, and and it's a good technique, but you have to do your investigation first. You can't... Absolutely. Do, you can't just identify a target and then, you know, uh, start working on him to figure out a way to, to get him to confess. You have to do yeah. your complete investigation, and then if you identify a target... Uh, and, and maybe that certainly they thought they had that in this case. But um, anyway, Andy, it's such a pleasure talking to you. It's so much fun. I'd like to meet you in person. Um, Absolutely. One Look of these days, it. hopefully, at one of these conferences. Yeah, I'm sure. Actually, probably in yeah. Long Beach. Yeah, okay. That would be great. Please come up and introduce yourself to me because I will definitely be there. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll, I'll see you there. At, <laughs> all right. Very good. We're at the end of our hour, folks. If you're interested in advertising on PISD Classified, you can contact my wonderful producer of this show, Sandra Rogers, at sandra.rogers at voiceamerica.com. And, of course, thank you to my wonderful uh uh, what do I call him? Kitchen friend that uh, matches this program. Uh, Aaron and two big folks that we declassify more real stories from real investigators like Andy Kay. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.